All right, our young people can be dismissed to Children's Church. And we certainly want to thank Judy and Becky and Don for their sharing, sharing with us this morning. Matthew chapter 22, please, if you would join me there. Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22 this morning. We have found ourselves through the different lessons that we've been doing, working our way through the Gospels, working our way through the life of Christ. We're actually into the last week of Jesus' life, um, and it'll take a long time uh, to cover the last week of Jesus' life because uh, eventually we'll get to the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John, uh, most of it is dedicated to that portion of, uh, of Jesus' life and ministry. And so we'll be looking at that in a little more detail as we, we continue on. Uh, we should be, by next Easter, ready to cover Easter uh, <laughs> if, if we do it, if we time this just, just right. Um, but uh, the disciples, we, we've tried to look at it from the standpoint more than anything about the disciples and Jesus teaching and instructing them. And they were told to deny themselves and be willing to even accept the fact that they might have to lose their life, uh, deny their families, uh, and, and those kind of things. And some of these things are coming to a head. It's as in the last week of Jesus' life, they're really being put to the test. Some of the earlier times for the disciples were kind of times of joy and reflection, and look what Jesus is doing, and the crowds are coming, and, and he's a very, very popular figure. But now things are being very, very tense as far as the city of Jerusalem is concerned, Last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, he's under attack by the Jewish religious leaders. Uh, everything is heating up, and uh, there's uh, pressure on the people, the general population, to turn against Jesus. We'll see that in the message that we look at this morning. And uh, the lines are being drawn. Who's on what side? Uh, who's who's going who's gonna to accept him as their Messiah? Who's going to reject him? Uh, the leadership is kind of settled uh, in their unbelief. Jesus says of the Pharisees, they are the hip they, they're hypocrites, they're full of pride and stubbornness and rebellion. Uh, they've been exposed to the truth, but that's not enough to get you to heaven. Uh, exposure to the truth and being born a Jew is not enough. Works and self-righteousness is not enough. And Jesus then comes into Jerusalem presenting himself as king, as, as what we have in what we would call the Palm Sunday or the um, the uh, announcement there where Jesus comes and uh, enters into the city and the, and the people are shouting Hosanna and praise to him and so forth. And then before he gets into the city, he actually stops and pauses and weeps over the city because um, they're putting on a nice outward show, but their hearts are not totally convinced. He ends up going the next day, Monday, into the temple, he throws out the money changers out of the temple, invites the lame and the blind to come back in. Uh, he heals them and he teaches there in the temple. And finally, he calls for a stoppage of worship as far as the temple is concerned. It's like, uh, this is, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. My father's house is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Um, nothing else should be going on in this place. 
And of course, the response goes back, by, by what authority? Who, who do you think you are telling us that we cannot worship any longer in the temple? Uh, by what authority? And Jesus says, well, by what authority did John the Baptist do what he did? And they're like, well, we can't really tell you. And he says, well, then I can't tell you either because it's the same, it's the same authority. Jesus said to them, he says, my, myself and my father, we've done everything in our power to make Israel's vineyard a success. He says, we've planted good vines, we've hedged about the vineyard, we've put a tower, we've gotten rid of all the stones, we have a wine press, we've weeded the garden, but the wrong fruit has come up. And he says, what should I have done more? What more could I have done? And, and again, this is an interesting phrase that is used here in regards to what more could Jesus have done to present himself as King of kings and Lord of lords and to prove that he was God's son. And he says, what's going to happen? He says, you've been invited to a feast. You've been invited to, uh, the king is inviting you to his son's wedding. And the servants come and you beat the servants and you stone them and you kill them. And the son comes and you kill the son. What, what's the father going to do? The marriage feast is ready. And they refuse to come. It says they literally made light of it. They treated the messenger spitefully. And Jesus finally says they're not worthy to come. And he tells the other servants, invite as many as you can, as many as you shall find. And then finally he looks and he looks over the wedding guests that are there and he finds one and that does not have a wedding garment. The wedding garment was supposed to be provided by the host and uh, it speaks of putting on Christ's righteousness and he did not. He refused uh, Christ's way of salvation. He refused to accept Christ's sacrifice and Christ's righteousness trying to get to heaven, trying to get to the feast on his own merits. Well, he's supposed to be bound, taken away into utter darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it says that he sort of followed the way of Cain. If you remember the story of Cain, Cain was told, we need a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice of a lamb without blemish. Cain brings the best of he ha that he has from his garden, best that he has from his vegetables and his fruits that he... And he said, that should be enough. And God said, no, it's not. He said, Cain, go back and do what is right, and your sacrifice will be accepted. We're now in verse number 15 of chapter 22 of, of Matthew. And it's clear from the outset, there are three questions that are going to be asked. I don't know whether we'll have a chance to look at all three questions this morning. But there's three questions, and they're asked for one reason and one reason only, and that is to discredit or to tangle Jesus up in his words and again, the plan is to, we, we, need, we need to embarrass him in front of the people. We need to get him to misstep, say something stupid. Uh, the, the whole thought process, if you, if you say something stupid and, and, and you look like you don't know what's going on, they'll certainly never elect you president. Um, I'm sorry, it was a different subject. Um, The idea was trying to discredit him in the sense that he cannot be the Son of God. He cannot be the Messiah. We, we must do something. We must do something to discredit him in the eyes of the people. So as we begin here, Matthew 22, let's have a word of prayer before we begin uh, this particular section. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for us being able to have the time to set aside to study your word. These folks brought questions to trick and to deceive and to try to trip up Jesus in his words. But Father, may we focus on the answers that Jesus gave 
things that might help us in our, our daily life and our daily walk with you. Father, help us to see through the flattery and see through the other aspects of things, to see the truth of, of your word and what you're presenting to us. Speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 22, verse number 15 reads this way, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Again, there's no question what the plan is. This is not a question of like, yeah, I really want to know the answer. Uh, this is the equivalent of the high school student who says, hey, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to get the teacher off the subject. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. We're going to get the teacher chasing, you know, rabbit trails and things of that nature. Um, it just never works. Um, and <laughs> so, but it, it's the, the reason for the question is to entangle him in his speech. And they sent out unto him their disciples. This is kind of interesting as well. Uh, the Pharisees took counsel how they might entangle him, and they sent out their disciples along with Herodians, saying, Master, we know thou art true. <clears throat> we know you teach the way of God in truth. We know that you do not care for any man or any personage of man. You're no respecter of persons. And, and we know that you regard not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you, what do you think about this? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now, I wish there was a Bible verse that said that we don't have to pay taxes. I wish there was such a thing, um, especially if we disagreed with how taxes are being used. It'd be, it'd be nice and awesome if that was true. But is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Well, first of all, it's interesting that the Pharisees are not doing it themselves. They're sending their students, okay? They're sending their disciples. And it's like, I, I, maybe they've been rejected enough times and they've been turned back enough times that we'll, we'll send our students, along with the Herodians, and we'll mention uh, who the Herodians are in just a little bit. But the reason for the questions, are they seeking truth? No, they're seeking to entangle him. And, and this whole thing is filled with flattery. Look at this in verse number 16. It, it'd be nice if they believed this stuff. Oh, uh, they said, Master, okay, Master, great teacher. We recognize you as an awesome teacher. We know that thou art true. Really? We know that you speak the truth. Okay, this is going to make it worse for you. If you know you speak the truth, why don't you listen or obey anything I ask you to do? We know you speak the truth. Uh, we know you teach the way of God in truth. We know you're teaching what God wants we know that you're no respecter of persons. We know you cannot be intimidated. We know you are unbiased in your approach. Now, what they're leading up to is, you know, you, we know you won't be influenced by the Roman soldiers. <laughs> we know you won't be influenced by any outside force. This is a trap. Either he's going to disfavor the crowd by saying, yes, you need to pay taxes, or he's going to be disloyal to Rome, one of the two. Now, the Herodians are in this group, and how do they get in here? Well, we've talked about the Pharisees and what they believed before. The Herodians are compromisers. Uh, they would be the opposite of a group known as the Zealots. Uh, the Zealots were a group that would be like, you know, we hate every single Roman we see. Uh, Romans have no place, no point in being in Palestine or in Israel. They have no reason to rule over us. The zealots were fighting, warring type people that would literally attack Roman bands and, and um, 
kill Roman soldiers and things of that nature, trying to little by little do what they could to drive uh, Rome out. The Herodians, on the other hand, were compromisers. They were like, hey, uh, why die over this? Let's just submit. Uh, don't rock the boat. Uh, you know, whatever Herod they appoint, Rome appoints, uh, will support him. And they were supporters of Rome. So their motivation here is a little bit, you know, is, is it lawful to pay uh, tribute to Caesar? <laughs> well, we certainly believe that's probably the best way. If you pay tribute to Caesar, then there's um, a lot less chance of causing getting yourself in trouble. Why would you want to do that? It's definitely a trap, okay? And um, I saw something the other day where somebody said, you're walking right into a trap. And the response was, isn't that what traps are for? I was like, okay. And Jesus, you're, you're walking right into a trap, Jesus. And he goes, well, okay, here I go. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. He knows what they're up to. And he says, why tempt you me, you hypocrites? And again, he, he knows their wickedness and their wicked intent. They don't really want to know an answer. They just want to see if he can divide the crowd in, in some way. Why tempt you me? This is, you know, this is the, this is the lawyer question, you know, you know, the man's on trial and he says, sir, is this the first time you beat your wife? <laughs> a yes is the wrong answer, a no is the wrong answer. Um, <laughs> that's the idea. It's, and Jesus said, I see your wickedness. Why tempt you me, you hypocrites? And again, we're pretty free sometimes with this word hypocrite. Somebody's like, well, you're a hypocrite. Well, the fact is God knows for sure who hypocrites are. It's when they say one thing and mean something else, or they give an appearance of one thing and their hearts are completely different. Again, we've talked about this before. When people say, oh, the church is full of hypocrites, I don't think so. I think the church is full of uh, sinners saved by grace, um, which, which means that we're going to mess up. A hypocrite would somebody who presents themselves as, I can't, I'm perfect, I cannot sin, I do not do anything wrong. I'm a perfect churchgoer, I'm just so wonderful, I've got a halo on my head, and, I'm, you know. and then we realize that that's not the truth, okay? But most church people, most of us, recognize the fact that we are not perfect, we are flawed. Uh, we, have, we have problems, we have difficulties just like everybody else, and we don't even present ourselves as being sinless or perfect. And, uh, and, and as soon as we mess up, somebody goes, oh, you're a hypocrite. No, I'm just uh, I'm a sinner that, um, you know, the fact that I go to church does not make me a perfect person. I told you one time I had a call on a, it was a Saturday night, and the gentleman called me and he goes, um, he says, Pastor, I, I've got a problem. And I said, what's that? And he says, well, I've been drinking, and um, I've been told that I want to come to church tomorrow, but if I drink on Saturday night and I go to church on Sunday, that I'd be a hypocrite. And I'd say, well, I think you, if you're drinking on Saturday night, I think you need to go to church on Sunday morning. I, <laughs> that was my answer. And, he, and he's like, well, okay, if you don't think I'd be a hypocrite. I said, no, I said, yeah, I think you need to come. <laughs> I think that's how this needs to work. And so he says, but when, if God calls you a hypocrite, guess what? <laughs> you, you is one. Um, know their motives, hypocrites. He says, you're trying to put me to the test. God knows the heart. And then he says, show me the money. Okay? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a denarius or a penny. 
day's wage, penny sounds, <laughs> I don't know, it sounds different to us, but they brought on him a denarius. And he said unto them, whose is this image and superscription? Whose, whose picture and whose name is on this coin? And they said, well, Caesar's picture, Caesar's name. Then he said, render therefore to Caesar the things which are Caesar's. And the part that is missed is render unto God the things that are God's. Show me a coin. Whose picture? Well, we're not giving our money to Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Benjamin Franklin. Um, But whose picture is on it? Whose superscription is on it? Whose name? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. I think it should be this way. Bring me a coin. Well, no, tell you what. Bring me a child. Whose image is on this child? Whose name? Who does he belong to? You give to God what belongs to God. You give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You give to God what belongs to God. Jesus never fretted over the money aspect of things. He got money from uh, the mouths of fishes. He, uh, he, could, he could get money from any place he wanted to. And, and again, the streets of gold that uh, the New Jerusalem are paved with is kind of like the same thing. Um, it's a, in consequence. Give to God what belongs to God. Bring me a child. Whose image is it? Whose image? Genesis chapter 1 tells us from the very beginning, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. And over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created he them. The image of God doesn't have to deal with bodily appearance. Now, I think body is part of it. I think the fact that there is a substance to us is part of it. I think it's body, soul, and spirit that makes us into the image of God. And then he goes on to say a little bit further uh, in Genesis, uh, this, this is a verse that deals with capital punishment and the, and the value of life. Okay, He says, whoso sheds man's blood, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, because man is created in the image of God, made he man. And so it's the image of God. This is the reason that it's like, you know, if you take someone's life, the reason this is punishable by death is because this person's life, this person was created in the image of God. And so what, you know, whose image is it? Who belongs to God? It's people belong to God. Money, give it to whoever, whatever's image is on it. But people belong to God. Are you giving God what's belo- what belongs to Him? I, I think uh, you know, what, what God seeks is our love and our worship and our praise and our thanks and our time, our talents, our effort, our life, our children, ourselves. Romans 12 says we're supposed to give ourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but you give to God what belongs to God. That's more important. He said, you're missing the more important. 
you're worried about whether we should pay money to the Romans. And he says, I'm worried about whether you're giving your heart to God. In your hymnal, hymn number 247 is a hymn that speaks of love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The response, verse number 22, and when he heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. They certainly did not get the results that they intended, but Jesus was able to make the point, you give to God what belongs, what does belong to God? What does belong to God? <laughs> the fact of the matter is, really everything I own belongs to God. Everything I have is a gift of God. Everything I have is something God gave me. We, we, we say these things all the time. It's like my house, my car, my wife, my family, my job, my, 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 my. And, that's, and we use those terminologies all the time. But in reality, I have a house because God gave it to me. I have a wife because God gave it to me. I have a family because God gave it to me. I have life and breath because God gave it to me. I have everything I have. Everything I have is a gift of God. Everything I have belongs to God. You give to God what belongs to God. I like when Peter says, we're not redeemed by puny little silver and gold, but we're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Puny little silver, puny little gold, but the precious blood of Christ. Well, the Sadducees watch and see as the Pharisees and their students fail, okay? Uh, the students, by the way, didn't score any higher on the test than the, than the teachers did, um, they're blind leaders of the blind, just, you know, the same thing. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they're going to give it their shot in the next verses. The Sadducees were the ones who ran the temple. They're the ones who are going to be put out the most by, if Jesus shuts down this temple, you mean if, if, we can't, if we can't charge people huge prices for these, you know, extra pure, you know, extra pure lambs that we have, if we can't charge extra money when we exchange it from the uh, Roman money to the Jewish currency, if we can't rip off people and steal from them, and, and we can't make merchandise of religion, that was the Sadducees. The Sadducees really uh, were more of a social gospel. They did believe in the five books of the, new t of the, um, uh, of the, uh, the Torah, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's about as far as it went with them. They believed in all the rules and all the commandments and all that kind of stuff, but uh, no heaven, no hell, no life after death, no angels, no miracles, no resurrection, no temple, uh, you know, no temple in heaven. They, they worshiped in the temple. They were merchants. They were doing it for money. When Jesus threw the money changers out of the temple, he, what he did was he hit, the, he hit the Sadducees in their pocketbook, okay? They didn't like it at all. So now this is their shot at it. And remember again what I just said, no heaven, no hell, no resurrection, no life after death. <laughs> Look what their question is, Okay. The same day, verse number 23, the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, ask him, saying, Master, Moses said, this, he's our authority, Moses said, because we believe in those books, Moses said, if a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife deceased and have no issue or no children left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, all the way to the seventh, and last of all, the woman died also. What a story. 
<laughs> what a story. <laughs> um, somewhere along the line, shouldn't brother three or four get the idea of what's going on here? Um, it's like, stop! <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways. Uh, therefore, in the resurrection, which of course, what does verse number 20, 23 say? Which of course they don't believe in. In the resurrection, whose wife shall be, she be of the seven? For they all had her to wife. Jesus goes, oh, brother. Okay. I, I, I think there's a long pause between 28 and 29 where Jesus just stands there going like, oh. dummies are us, you know. Um, <laughs> this is the equivalent of, you know, you'll, every once in a while you hear somebody say, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Yeah, he can, and then he lifts it. Oh, oh, no, then. It's a ridiculous question on every single level. First of all, because they don't even believe in the resurrection to start with, which proves they're not looking for information. The story of Moses and, and, and of the brother marrying his brother's widow to produce children, uh, this, would also do, this would also do some encouraging, you know, if, if I was the younger brother, I would certainly cheer for my brother to choose wisely uh, <laughs> when he marries, okay? If the possibility exists, I may end up stuck with your wife, okay? Uh, I would certainly like you to choose well, okay? Uh, <laughs> nonetheless, here's the story from um, Deuteronomy. If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no children or no child, and we're looking primarily for a boy child at this particular point. The wife of the dead shall not marry outside or marry a stranger or someone else. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife to perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother, which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if a man like not to take his brother's wife. This is probably not a good idea. My current wife would not be very happy with that. Um, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, my husband's brother is a snort. Um, my husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him, and if he stand to it, he goes like, nope, I'm not, nope, not a chance, and say, I like not to take her. Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of elders and loose his shoe from off his foot, spit in his face, <laughs> and shall say, you snort, uh, <laughs> and say, show shall be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. This is humorous since Mr. Bill Holman mentioned the shoe loosed already this morning. Somehow I looked ahead at my sermon notes. Um, <laughs> the plan is, okay, it sounds, obviously it sounds ridiculous to us, okay? 
But the plan was to keep everything, the, the lot, the property, the ownership, the land within the family was the plan. Oldest brother and his wife, they, they have this land, this property, it's theirs. It belongs to them, okay? He dies. What is she going to do? What is she going to do? Where does the property go? What happens? Well, if one of the, the younger brother goes in unto her and she has a son... Now it is all his. It would be passed on. They can keep it separate from the rest of the family. It belongs to his. That first child that is born belongs to his older brother as far as inheritance things are concerned. Now, obviously, that gets a little confusing for us. And, of course, the story is ridiculous as we end up with seven brothers, okay? Uh, and this is my, uh, my, my daughter's, one of my daughter's favorite shows is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, uh, this is one bride for seven brothers, is, is, what, is what this one's about. And we won't mention the black widow spider that is there as well. Um, but, uh, okay. Those of you that like um, violent musicals, by the way, it is a violent musical, the seven brides for seven brothers. Um, who's... Whose wife shall we be, she be in the resurrection? Now, here's a, Jesus' answer to this has actually caused some confusion uh, with people throughout the, throughout the time. And I, and I probably, when I'm done with it, you'll probably be more confused than, than how you started. But Jesus said in them, verse number 29, You do err not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. The very first thing Jesus has Jesus put out with the question in the first place. He said, you do err not knowing the scriptures. You do err, you make a mistake by not understanding the power of God. I guess I could stop right there and have us examine ourselves in that particular regard. Do we make wrong assumptions and do we come up with these ridiculous things because we really don't know the scriptures? Or we really don't understand the power of God? Of God. He says, You do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, those who take part in the resurrection, and there is one, by the way, Sadducees, for those who take part in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which is spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. <clears throat> Let's just start with this. When we go back to there, he said, they, uh, There is no marriage or given in marriage, but are the angels of God in heaven. Okay. Is that saying that in the day to come, okay. that uh, you know, if you're married to somebody, they die prior to you, uh, we, and we say this all the time. Somebody dies and, and say, well, when, when I die, I, oh, I'm, I get to see my husband again. I get to see my, you know, my, my mom. I get to see my uncle. I get to, you know. Is, is that true? Does, does these verses wipe all of that out? There is no marriage nor given in marriage. <clears throat> will, will my wife and I be married in heaven? Okay. Now, it would be really disappointing for her if we're not because... I would finally be a perfect husband. Um, 
<laughs> and she's had to put up with me while I'm not, not, not on the perfect side. But if, if, if she could just endure till then, <laughs> she'll get herself a perfect husband, okay? Uh, at least a sinless one anyways. I don't know about perfect. Uh, but, but the idea is he's talking again about procreation. He's talking about baby angels, okay? The, the reason they brought up the subject in the first place was, oh, the reason they marry is because so they could have children, and, and this one died before they had a child, and this one died before they had a child, and this one died before, you know, and so they're talking about children. So he addresses the fact uh, in the resurrection, uh, there, there is not a marriage relationship in the sense that children are produced. Because they, they will be like, these resurrected bodies will be like the angels, which again implies the fact that angels don't reproduce. There's not baby angels floating around, okay? This also, by the way, puts a dent <clears throat> and those people that take Genesis chapter 5 and 6 and say that, oh, the sons of God are angels and they intermarried with the daughters of men to create these wild beasts and angels and people, you know, intermarrying with one another. I don't think that ever happened, okay? Other people would take this and say, well, it did happen and now God has stopped it so it doesn't happen anymore, okay? But he said there, the idea of repro reproduction in regards to angels... Now, the question is, let's just talk about angels for a minute. <clears throat> um, are angels without sexuality? Um, it's kind of interesting. We have angels, uh, we have cherubim, we have seraphim, we have uh, archangels, we have messenger angels, we have guardian angels. Um, uh, let's see. I didn't miss this slide, did I? Go backwards. Okay, okay, next one. Don't understand. You don't understand angels. Okay, next one. Okay. Let's just stay here for a minute. <clears throat> um, these are some ways angels are, are depicted to us. It is kind of interesting. Most angels in the, not most, um, every reference in the Bible to an angel, uh, the names of angels we know are Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. Those are he's. All of them are he's. <clears throat> and every time there's a reference to the angel of the Lord, it's a he reference. So almost every single time angels are mentioned, it's a he. There's a passage in Zechariah that talks about two women uh, that are seen in a vision with wings. And so some people say, well, maybe there are, you know, there are female angels as well. Um, but it is interesting that every Bible reference to an angel is a he, but most picture references to angels that humans do are female, Okay. Or something that we see in the top left corner, you know, the little cute little cherubs, you know, they're up to something. All right. Um, uh, but um, we have down the bottom corner, which is another subject altogether, the guardian angels. And notice the guardian angels would have to be a mom, right? Have to be a, a girl. The guys would do a terrible job of that. Um, I, I, all three of my children, every single one, I, was, I, I did not play any favorites whatsoever. All three of my children, somewhere around, you know, I don't know, so many months, were smack dab in the middle of the bed, middle of a queen-size bed. And my wife said, watch them. Okay? And I blinked twice, and they had rolled off to the edge of the bed. <laughs> and I, you know, I caught, I dove across the bed, caught them on the first bounce. Okay? <laughs> and they let out this... Okay, can you not watch them for a minute? So there's no way. If there are guardian angels, they're not guys, okay? They're not guys. And, and so, 
Anyway, so that may answer the question itself. But again, with guardian angels, and, and I don't mean to be too humorous about this, but we take the edge of this little thing right here, okay? Some little kid runs 9,000 miles per hour, and they phew, graze the side of it. Just barely, their hair kind of flops a little bit. Go, Man, their guardian angel was watching over them. Well, what happens to the kid who hits it square on and has seven stitches? Okay, so, so maybe we need to rethink a couple of things here with that. But anyways, we're just kind of talking about angels in general. Uh, we have archangels. Michael is an archangel. I believe that Michael at this particular point uh, is stronger and tougher and more awesome than Lucifer. Okay, I believe Michael can handle Lucifer. Uh, and so when we talk about Jesus and God handling Lucifer, <laughs> I think Michael can do it. Okay, um, Michael wrestles with the devil on two or three occasions in the Bible, and he comes out on top every time. And so Michael is an archangel, and if Michael can handle the devil, certainly Jesus can. That's why a word of his mouth is all it takes to get rid of him. Okay. We have messenger angels, Gabriel. <laughs> Gabriel with an attitude as he talks to Zacharias. I am Gabriel. <laughs> I minister at the throne of God. You don't believe me? What? Okay. Uh, and so uh, we have these Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer, Angela, all, all he masculine nouns. Next one. He says, you don't understand angels, but he said there's, there's no marriage of angels for the purpose of, of, of uh, reproduction here as well. Um, something else I would like to address before we go any further with this uh, in regards to marriage and stuff in heaven is... What about those relationships? What about, you know, relationship with the person that was my wife or was my husband? What about those relationships? And, and what about a relationship where um, uh, there's, there are two wives uh, or there's two husbands and they're all Christians and all believers? Well, one of the things I think we fail to understand is as far as heaven is concerned, one of the things is our brains are too small to get it. But there's no jealousy, there's no ownership, there's no competition as far as our new bodies and our glorified bodies and things of that nature are concerned. But I do want to share this with you, if, if I can. Um, we, we tried to talk about this a little bit before when we talked about, we did a series on heaven before, but I want to kind of emphasize this to you again if I can. Next picture here. One more. Uh, okay. Um, I guess I'll address this before I address that. He said, you do err also in not knowing the resurrection because Abraham's still alive, uh, Isaac's still alive, Jacob's still alive. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac. These guys, they have died a long, long time ago. But there is a resurrection, so I am the God. I, it's not I was the God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he speaks of the fact that I'm a God of the living, not of the dead. So you guys don't even believe in a resurrection. There is one. You've missed that. Okay, next. I, I want us to kind of do a, a real quick tour of our life. What's important to our life? What, you know, sometimes we say things like, well, what do I need in heaven for me to be happy? You know, I, boy, I need my little, you know, I need my little puppet up. I need my little kitty cat. I need my, you know, I, if I don't have this in heaven, I just won't be happy, you know. And if I... <laughs> If that dog follows me, I'm, no. I'm, uh, <laughs> any, anyways, she won't listen there either. Well, maybe she'll listen up in heaven. Maybe that'd be great. Uh, 
people are like, what do you need? What do you need to be happy? What do you need to be satisfied? What do I need in heaven to be content? You know, and, and we think, well, I need my wife, and I need my family. I need my father. I need my mom. I need, you know, we'll all be reunited and be one. And we think that we need these things, and this is what we have to have. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that our brains are too small to know what we need to have or what will give us pleasure. For example, if you're a baby, what gives a baby pleasure? Best day ever is a full tummy. Best day ever is a warm blanket. Best day ever is a burp that ends all burps, you know. Best day ever, okay. Best day ever is relieving myself and being able to go to the bathroom. Best day ever for a baby, okay. What does the baby look forward to? That's it. And that's the mindset. And they can't understand anything else. Oh, young man, someday when you get married. The baby's not thinking marriage. Baby's thinking, when's my next bottle, okay? Uh, that's the most important thing to me. Let's go to, oh, seven or eight years old. <laughs> this little boy, best day ever. Caught two fish, got a frog, killed a snake. Best day ever. Hey, what do you think about girls? <laughs> Give me 27 frogs, no girls. Get warts from frogs, but you get cooties from girls. I don't want girls. Best day ever for an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old is having a frog in a pocket. Muddy, dirty, played in the river. Best day ever. Christmas time to get the gift that they've wanted more than anything else. Best day ever. I, I love it when my grandkids say things like this. Best day ever. And I'm like, well, you haven't had much of a life up to this point. Um, <laughs> if, if this is your best day ever. All right. Well, let's go on. It's a teenager. Best day ever. The newest iPhone. The newest whatever. You know, I got, I'm in my world. I got my... I, I've got my phone, i got everything, best day ever. You know, now we do have a little bit of interest in boys and girls and so forth. He wrote me a note, says he likes me or, you know, whatever, best day ever, best day ever. A little bit older, you get into your 20s, best day ever. Those girls with cooties, um, we, we get immune to those because um, it's the boys that really do have the cooties. Uh, but, <laughs> But the, but the idea is it's like best day ever when I find that person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Best day ever. Best day ever. Again, ask the eight-year-old about, hey, man, you ever think about the girl you're going to marry? Ah! You know, see two people kissing on TV and go, oh, gross, turn that off, oh. Because there's no, there's no pleasure in any of that. What does it take to make you happy? At different stages in life, it's different things. Now the 60, 70, 80-year-old person, it's grandkids. Go ahead, talk to, the, talk to the newlyweds about having grandkids. <laughs> We've told our kids numbers of times that the only reason they exist is so we can have grandchildren. Um, they were just a necessary means to an end. And by the way, some of the warm blankets and the uh, burping um, is the best day ever, too, um, for, for a 70, 80, 90, whatever. Uh, all right. Uh, 
different things at different times in your life. It's like, I can't be happy without. I can't be happy without. I can't be happy without. One day we're going to be in God's presence. And for us to sit here and say, I can't be happy without, just proves our lack of knowledge of what God has for us. At all the different stages in life, God has provided for us to have the best day ever. And in eternity, it's going to be the same thing. Best eternity ever. Best day ever. That would be kind of cool because it's like, well, yesterday was better than today. today, Or today is better than yesterday. And it's like, this is the best day ever. Every day is the best day ever. Because whatever God has planned for us will be what we need to satisfy us and give pleasure and to give enjoyment. And so we say things, I need this and this and this and this and this to make heaven a happy place for me. God knows what you need. He'll give you what you need. You know, I don't walk around with a frog in my pocket. <laughs> I do have baby bottles occasionally when uh, uh, Mary Beth brings them for, for uh, beginning care for life things, and I, I do have baby bottles then. But Different things at different times and different stages in life. God says you do err not knowing the Scriptures. There is a resurrection. You don't know the Scriptures. You don't know the power of God. But I will say this as I close out this part of it. We have one more question to go that we'll look at next week. But I do believe that there's too much emphasis, biblically speaking, on family relationships and even God's relationship with us as a father to children or even as uh, Christ, a bride to Christ and a wife to Israel. There's too many family references and relationships for that stuff not to matter in eternity. It has to matter because there's been way, God puts way too much emphasis on family and relationships for the relationships that we have here not to mean anything at all. It has to mean something. But how much better? How much better? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and just these two, two questions today that we're asked in regards to how important is our money? What belongs to Caesar, give to Caesar. What belongs to God, give to God. Well, what about this resurrection thing? <laughs> well, there is one. Jesus said, I'm not the God of the living. I'm not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to know that whatever you have for us in the future is the best day ever. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.